Welcome, fellow human, to the Disorganized Productions Podcast. The show that fuels your spirit, ignites your potential, and helps you become the best version of yourself. I'm your host, Rob, and each episode will embark you on a journey to unlock the power within you, tap into your limitless potential, and conquer life's challenges. It's all good. There we are. Ladies and gentlemen, a special guest tonight. For me tonight, for him this morning, right? Um, he is the host of the Permaculture Pimp Podcast. And Pimp is not something to offend the ladies in the house or whatever you're going to call them. No, it's it's for the Permaculture... Uh, what was it, Betty? Permaculture is, is my passion. That's it. Oh, man. Um, so uh, we want to welcome tonight Billy Bond. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> uh, Billy, please introduce yourself to the uh, audience. And I think that you hear me now a little bit better when my mic is in front of my face instead of always back in the room, right? Yeah, I hear you. I hear you perfectly fine. Um, yeah, in a nutshell, I'm basically, uh, my name is Billy Bond. I am a, well, I've been a lot of things in my life, a soldier, an electrician, a talk show host at one of the biggest stations in Kansas City, Missouri. Um, you know, permaculture, uh, I guess in a nutshell, I guess I'm a Christian, American, heterosexual, pro-gun, liberty-minded, permaculture designer, person of color. So that, I guess... I guess that makes me about as rare as a unicorn. So, um, <laughs> especially in today's woke, where everybody has to be woke and people like me are supposed to be woke. And um, so, yeah, I kind of fall in the face of everything. I'm, I'm the total opposite, basically, of what everything ex- everybody expects me to be, which is really a good fit for, for us because I've listened to your podcast and I'm like, okay, me and this guy are going to get along just fine. <laughs> right. Yeah. Because there are a lot of, Things that we can touch based on. Uh, wh- what was your journey to go into the permaculture and to uh, basically try to shut off from the system and, and go off grid? Yeah, that's going to take a little to unfold. But in a nutshell, my wife came from a, uh agricultural family. And they were doing things the typical way, you know, with a lot of inputs. And she always loved the lifestyle. She always loved it. But I didn't come from that area, even though I grew up in farming country in uh, Pennsylvania and then later in Oklahoma. It never stuck with me because the idea of sitting on a tractor all day or taking a bunch of inputs and throwing it to animals, I just didn't, I just didn't, it didn't appeal to me Hmm. until I came across a guy named Joel Salatin. And it wasn't even his farming that attracted me. It was his politics. I'm listening to a guy. Now, at that time, I'm just emerging from the matrix. You know, I knew we had these Democrats, we had these Republicans, or the Democrats and the Republicrats are basically all a bunch of a giant gang. And, um, you know, I'm realizing that I don't belong to any of this. Well, I learned about Ron Paul, Congressman Ron Paul, and I thought, okay, I feel a little less alone in this world. And then I hear Joel saying basically the same thing. Well, he just happened to be a farmer. And I'm thinking, okay, I like this guy's politics. So then I start examining his ideas, and I'm like, okay, 
he is every bit the anarchist that I am. And then when I say anarchy, let me just qualify it. It doesn't mean that it's without rule of law. It doesn't mean that. It just means an absence of government. And so when I heard his politics, I'm immediately thinking, okay, I got to check this guy out. Mm -hmm. So later on, now this is probably in the mid-1990s that I discovered this. And then later on, I mean, I've, I've always kept up with this guy. Still wasn't really in the farming, even though my wife was doing it. I wasn't really on board until 2008. I had I'd, I'd been learning all this stuff, but what made me realize that I had to make this jump is when 2008 rolled along. Now, prior to 2008, I was very much into the preparedness mindset. I was in all the preparedness groups. I was doing all those things, but I kept noticing that in this preparedness world, people were all about the beans and bullets, but there was no emphasis on resupply. There was no emphasis on, okay, so if I got a year's worth of food, what do I do on day 366? And no matter how much I tried to talk to these folks about it, they just wouldn't hear it. So then 2008 rolls on and I lost my job, basically almost lost everything, my wife and I. And it was at that point where I could not find a job anywhere in the Western Hemisphere. And the only places where you could find a job were basically working as a contractor in Iraq, which was a war-torn country and still is, thanks to uh, the United States of Amnesia, or in places like Haiti that had been hit by a, um, a, a probably a manufactured earthquake, whatever the case may be. Yeah. So then I promised myself at that point, if I ever get my way out of this, if I ever get back on my feet again, I am never going to be a part of this system that made me so unprepared. Yeah, I was prepared from a preparedness standpoint. Mm -hmm. Here I was going after what people call the American dream, only to find out that it was really a nightmare. So that 2008, 2009 were probably the toughest years of my working life. And it was at that time where I said, okay, I'm done. I am absolutely done. Everything that everybody tells me, I'm going to examine it for myself. I'm not going to listen to anybody else. I'm going to find out what in this world I love. Mm -hmm. And then that lead to permaculture. And then all of a sudden, I'm seeing all the holes that were right there in the preparedness space where nobody concerned about, well, permaculture filled all that. And I'm like, okay, so that it brought me right back to Joel. Then it brought me back to people like Greg Judy. Um, I mean, you name it. Every and anything in permaculture I had to learn about, and I'm still on that journey. And so the, uh, what it led to after that is that I finally get on my feet, and then I'm realizing, okay, is this possible? How do I go from being a IBEW journeyman electrician to doing this every single day of my life? Because what I found myself doing, Rob, is every time I go to a job, Whoever I'm working with, all I could talk about was permaculture. All, yeah. all I could talk about. And I'm like, and they're, they're kind of, I'm realizing that I'm persuasive enough to where these guys and gals are hearing what I say, and then they're going to home trying it. And I'm like, okay, well, how do I expand this? So we started with ourselves. First things first, get my wife out of the matrix. So I'll keep working. We got her out. Then we got my son out. And instead of sending him off to college, we sent him off to Australia. He had a full ride. Yeah, we sent him off to Australia to learn under uh, Jeff Lawton. And then we sent him to um, New Mexico to learn how to do natural building and uh, how to build earthship homes. Wow. Then we sent, so we would send him, instead of sending him to college, 
We used our resources to get him the education that he really wanted, even though he had a full ride academic scholarship. Mm -hmm. So got him out of the matrix. So it was first my wife, we got her out, then we got my son out. And then I went on a tear. I worked seven days a week, 365. I mean, I didn't take a day off in four months and I was working 12 hours a day at night to try and get every dollar I could to make this jump into this permaculture journey. Mm -hmm. It was tough. I wore my body down. I mean, it wore me out in a way that I can't even describe, but I got there. And then, so I'm like, okay, now how do I tell the world about this? How do I make everybody get the passion? Yeah. I growing my own food, processing my own animals, putting all this stuff in the freezer. How do I make everybody else as passionate about it as I am? So my son said, well, maybe we should start a YouTube channel. And at the time, and still now, I'm realizing there's a whole bunch of homestead um, YouTubers out there, and a lot of them I've gotten to know. And also I come to find out that a lot of them are not what they claim to be. They're not, they're not doing what they say they do. Mm. So I'm not going to worry about them. I am going to speak to the people out there who were in that place that I was. Because honestly, Rob, at the end of the day, you're most equipped to help the person that you used to be. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm like, okay, surely there's other people out there. And then we started the YouTube channel and I went into a kicking and scratching at first. And then as I realized people are starting to wake up and see this stuff, I got a little more excited and then a little more excited than the YouTube channel. I really started putting some effort into it. It started to grow. And then I'm like, okay, we're building a following of people who are not fans of me, but fans of permaculture. Mm -hmm. And we're like, okay, we kept building and building and building. And then like you and I were talking about before we even began this podcast, all of a sudden YouTube started putting the brakes on us. Um, if you're not going to talk exclusively, if you're not going to stay within that very narrow band that YouTube has, mm. they're going to basically marginalize you or they're going to kick you off or do both. Yeah. So I'm thinking, well, how do we do this? And then all of a sudden I'm thinking, okay, we need a podcast. And in this podcast, I'm going to talk about all the things that I can't talk about on YouTube Everything from permaculture, preparedness, practical living, even sometimes the paranormal or parapolitical. Mm -hmm. We talk all of that in this podcast. So we basically have this trifecta where, or a bifecta really, of YouTube where we can do all of our instructional work and then podcast where I can talk about all the things that I can't possibly say on YouTube. Mm -hmm. Sorry about the long way to answer, Rob, but that's basically it in a nutshell. <laughs> wow. Well, Billy, great to have you, man. And I really liked it because when I <clears throat> when I jumped into your uh, YouTube channel, um, there is, and, and that that's really nice to see. There is a problem with some soil, and you figure out what's the solution that I already have. What's the other problem that I can, uh, where I can solve my problem with? And I, I think that's really that, that's really uh, creativity that you're going to need, and you're going to figure out. What's working? What's not working? Right, because right. you you mentioned on your podcast also like uh, when you have your berries and stuff like that, it's like tremendous amounts because you put some passion in it, you put some research in it. From where does it grow the best? Uh, where should I grow it? Um, and if there's a problem like uh, I have too many um, like bugs, I don't have a problem with bugs. I have a problem with uh, less gooses or less ducks you know that eat them bucks 
And it's really nice to see you on your channel, how passionate you are and about the things that you teach us. Because a lot of people, I think, are really fed up with this system and they want to get out. But how? You know, it's not like you go going to enter some piece of land and it's already there. You know, you got to do some effort for it to, to get through there, to get where you want to be. Um, how long did it take for you, your wife and your son to uh, eventually harvest enough to get through the year and canned food and stuff like that? Yeah, we never, as far as meat, um, as far as meat, we were doing pork, we're doing, you know, we got beef, we got chickens. Um, and then, of course, you know, if you have hunt, you can put deer in the freezer as well. We did that. And that's one thing I try to tell people is that if you're looking for the fastest way to fill your freezer in terms of protein, it's hard to beat um, animals because it is so easy. I mean, if you were to go out and buy, let's say, okay, let's say you're a family of three. And let's say you eat two chickens a week. Well, there's 52 weeks in a year. So 104 chickens is what you're going to need to satisfy that need for one year. Mm. Well, you literally go out there, get a bunch of, let's say, I'm not a big fan of these birds, but you could get them. Let's say a Cornish cross. Well, in six to eight weeks, you could put all the necessary protein that you need for your family of three, let's say. I'm just using easy numbers. Mm -hmm. You could put all that protein into your freezer in eight weeks. So you could do the same, but it's not, you could do that in eight weeks. Or let's say you figure out how much bacon or how much pork you want to eat. You can do the same thing in about, let's say, six to nine months. Let's say nine to 12 months. Wow. Now, not only do we do that, I'm, I'll get to your question in a second, but the point being is that you can raise all the meat you need far easier than what it is to raise your vegetables and put that in a canning jar or to freeze dry it or to do something else. Mm. It's far easier to grow your protein and put it back than it is anything else. So to answer your question, we did it slowly but surely. I don't know that if I know how long it took, but it basically inside of one year, I can raise every bit of meat that we could possibly use. In fact, Rob, we raised so much that last year I had to give away three pigs because I have seven freezers out in the garage. And at the time I was feeding five adults. We had so much left over that I'm literally giving, um, I'm teaching, I'm asking people, Hey, come on over to my house. I'm going to give you free pork. And they don't even believe it. And they're like, well, well, how are you able to do this? Well, one of our claims to fame is that we raise all of our chickens for free. We don't use store-bought feed after a couple of weeks. Mm -hmm. Raise all of our, our eggs for free. We raise, and while doing all this, we do it in a in a system called the chicken tractor on steroids, made, made popular by the great Jeff Lawton out of Australia. We do that, and then we raise our pork for 21 cents a pound, which is nearly impossible to believe, and it's better than anything you can find in the supermarket. Oh, yeah, I believe and that. The reason, the reasons we're able to do this is that, like you stated a moment ago, we make the problem the solution. Well, every restaurant, I live 30 minutes from Asheville, North Carolina. I go there once a week, and I get all of the organic bread from all the bakeries. I get all of the organic uh, beans and corn and all these things from these places where ordinarily they would throw it in a dumpster. And 
we have so much that it i mean that's the beauty of this system if you're on the treadmill of typical farming you're going to go out there and spend all your money to buy feed for these animals why do that when i can go to all these different places get organic food feed it to my animals and it's free and i'm doing them a favor and then i have so much left over that i have to compost it which is going right back into the garden so we're feeding our trees we're feeding our animals we're feeding our we're feeding all seven layers of that food force the overstory the understory the shrub the vine the herbaceous layer the ground cover the roots and i would say number eight we're even feeding the mycelial layer so we don't have any we don't have any waste here but we have so much abundance that we have to give it away. And this is what I'm trying to preach from the mountaintops is that you don't have to be on this never-ending cycle of raising your animals and having to buy all the stuff you need from a supply house. Mm-hmm. You can just work with the people around you. And I've done this, Rob, to be honest with you. People say, well, I live in a small town. I can't do this. Well, I've done this in small towns. I've done it in small town decap Texas, where there's like a one there's like one grocery store and it's awful and there's like a gas station and a couple of other small businesses well by working with public schools i was able to achieve the same exact thing so these can be done whether you're feeding 100% of your animals this way or let's just say you're feeding them 50% of their diet it's still there are too many people in this world that can say i raise all of my chicken for free I raise all of my eggs for free. I raise all of my pork for free. I raise all of my lamb for free or raise my pork for almost free. Um, And then to produce so much that we have to give it away. Same thing like you were talking about, like with our uh, strawberries. We use strawberries as a ground cover in our food forest. Mm -hmm. In one area, and we got two harvests out of June bearing strawberries this last year. We got 100 gallons of strawberries. We we couldn't even pick them all. We couldn't, and it's so bad that we couldn't even invite people out to come pick them for the most part. Um, we had so many strawberries that they were dying on the vine, but that is so much. The strawberries are nothing more than a byproduct of just good management. Mm-hmm. So it's strawberries, blueberries, apple trees, pear trees, plum trees, you name it, peach trees. It doesn't even matter. We can do these systems and we can do them in such a way that make us so abundant that, you know what, whatever the governments are doing, it really doesn't matter. So uh-huh. if I'm not producing something, i got a neighbor down the road that might be. I trade with them. And so we... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so that's a pretty old system again. Yep. And it's yep. possible. And, and it must be feeling so... Uh, uh, what's it called? Um it must be feeling so great when you see that it's possible, first of all, and that it's give you abundance. And I like that. Uh, I listened to one of your um, uh, podcasts, and it was Eric Leda, I think it was. He said about abundance. It's not about wealth in money. Abundance of clean air, uh, fresh water, uh, abundance of clean food. That's That's real wealth, right? And you're working on that, and when you see the process, and it must be so great to walk outside and to see everything. And I really liked what you said on uh, one of your YouTube uh, uh, movies, or probably it was on the podcast. Uh, 
put the things there when you walk every day because you can see what it needs. Not like in the back of your garden where you never come and, uh, you know, you're just like, oh, yeah, I got some pears or some strawberries and stuff like that. No, put it there where you can see it and you can see every day by, oh, wait a minute, I need a, I need a little bit more sun there or I need more mulch or I need more this or that. And um, you learn the process of nature and what nature provides gives it back. And I really like what you said about the, the waste of others you can use to produce your own food. That's so tremendous. Great. That's really great. You know, Rob, it's, it's trying to get rid of the reductionistic worldview that we have here in the United States of amnesia in that we feel like that we need all store to buy everything. Well, you can't even buy the meat I raise. You can't buy that. You can't go to a store and get it where it's not filled with chemicals. Filled, And then here's the worst part. Every one of those animals, every single animal you see in the grocery store was tortured before it mm. was Every one of our animals that we process, they don't even know it's happening. They do it without, with almost probably no pain at all. They don't know it's coming. When you take your animal and you drop it off in the slaughterhouse, they smell death. Yeah. They smell stress. They're stressed out. The meat tastes differently. Our animals are out there, you know, they're enjoying life, and then bam, just like that, it's gone. And we respect that animal so much that we don't have any waste at all. For example... If you take an animal, let's say it's a pig, you take a pig into a slaughterhouse, you're probably, after the hanging weight's done, you're lucky to get back 60% of that animal. Mm. Well, do it on the homestead, or you do it on the farm, I get 100% back, and let me qualify that. Well, those things on that animal that I don't necessarily want to eat, but my livestock guardian dog doesn't mind eating it, or my other dogs don't mind eating it. Like guts and stuff like that? Yes, they'll eat the. It's the best food in the world for a dog. Our dogs eat guts and um, eggs. All the eggs that we can't eat go to the dogs. So they eat the guts and eggs, and they're very healthy and happy dogs. So what about the other parts of those animals that we can't use? Guess what? It goes into a compost pile. So if it lived, it can live again in a different form, and we don't waste anything. So does it, now I would be remiss to not point out that this lifestyle also does require more work out of you to do it this way. Mm-hmm. It does. We move our animals every single day. Our sheep get moved. Well, depending on the time of year, they move. They don't stay in one spot for very long. They're constantly having a fresh salad bar every single day. They require very little and they produce unbelievable amounts. Mm. Now, it does require a lot of work. And I'll be honest with you, Rob, I've worked three times harder now working for myself than I ever did when I was working as an electrician. Mm-hmm. But with doubt, like you said, when I go out there, I get up in the morning. It's not like when I was going to a regular job. I would get up in the morning and I'm like, oh my goodness, can this day be over? Uh-huh. Or even though I was making lots of money doing what I was doing. But now I wake up every day and then I know that every single thing I do, whether it's shoveling poop or whatever the case may be, I know that I'm doing it for the benefit of my family and for my friends and for the people around me and the people that just can't afford to put bread on the table right now. Mm. And then we're able to feed a lot of other people. I wake up every day knowing that I'm doing what the good Lord, I think, put me on this earth to do is to 
evangelize this magnificent design science and tell everybody out there it's not that difficult, whether you live in an apartment. Let me ask you, Rob, what do you what makes a farmer? Uh, what makes a farmer? That's a good good question. It was really someone who loves the land and respects it and and treats it uh, like like his own son. Okay, that's a really good definition. Let me expand that a little bit, and I'm going to borrow from my one of my heroes in this space, Joel Salatin. Everybody thinks that you have to have a bunch of land to be a farmer. No, what makes the farmer, what makes the farm, is the farmer. So if you're living in an apartment and all you have is a closet and you're growing mushrooms, you're a farmer. If you're living in a very small house and you have a spare room and you can grow microgreens, which, by the way, are delicious and very expensive, you can grow those microgreens in that spare area, you are a farmer. Let's say you're living on a balcony in an apartment and you're able, like my friend Eric Sider, the one you were citing a moment ago, mm-hmm. even if you're living in a balcony apartment and you're growing sweet potato vines out on that balcony, you're a farmer. So, Or let's say you're in a in a house in a suburban neighborhood, and you're able to grow two fruit trees out back. And then because maybe you watch one of my videos, you realize, oh, gee, I could put put seven other things around here that might produce food or medicine or whatever the case may be. Guess what? You're a farmer. Or whether you're like me and you're you're in the middle of nowhere, you're a farmer. So everybody should realize that no matter where you find yourself in this hierarchy, no matter where you are, you can farm. So that's that's what's critical. It doesn't have to be somebody like me. Maybe you're only producing, I'll give you a great example, microgreens. Very, very expensive. So let's say all you're able to do is grow microgreens and you bring them to a restaurant down the road. Okay, the or money you earn from doing that, maybe you could take that money and go buy the meat you need because you got all uh-huh. So you can do that sort of thing. Or let's say you have five fruit trees in the backyard. Maybe you sell those apples, those pears, those peaches, those plums. Mm -hmm. It's going to be light years better than anything you can find in the store. So if you buy an apple in the store, chances are that apple has been sitting on the shelf for almost a year before it ever made it to even the organic apples. They're sitting on the shelf for a year before they ever made it there. Mm -hmm. You take apple compared to a real apple that was just picked. There's no comparison. No, 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 I know. Yeah, so let's say you have several trees in your backyard. You sell those apples or talk to your your neighbor down the road who may not be growing apples. Maybe they're growing rabbits. Maybe they're growing chickens. Maybe they got eggs. Maybe you could trade for those things. This is the this is the world how it you should be. Exactly. We don't have a government problem necessarily. We don't have a politics problem. We got a lack of imagination problem. Mm. If we could take all these things, we realize where the problems are, solve our own problems, and then try to find people around you that they're, I mean, we're not, we're not everywhere. Most people are in the matrix or they're at the bottom of Plato's cave and they're comfortable being there. But if you go out there and look, you go to these festivals, you um, watch these videos that are useful, take it home and then go find a community of people around you Mm -hmm. that may teach you, that may feed you, that you could feed them. These are the communities, because every government is trying to drive us apart. This oh, yeah. Is the way I can see us, or one of the few ways where I can see us coming back together. Exactly. And we see that here in the Netherlands now, because uh, we've got the farmer protests. Uh, Netherlands is based on the farmers. I mean, without the farmers, there was no Netherlands. These were the, the, 
the guys that, that took the cattle and, and you know they, they they made the crop grow and stuff like that. When the Romans came, they took over like the the, the political system, and they are in charge right now, and they want to reduce everything. But the Netherlands, Holland, um, is the second biggest producer of food in the world. So that's what they want to do, right? They want to cut that stream off so you can buy Bill Gates uh, plastic uh, printed meat and stuff like that and, and GMO processed meat. The thing is, I live in a countryside and I can go like two or three kilometers from here. I can get my mushrooms. I can get my apples, everything from the soil where I live in. So I don't need any interaction with the grocery store normally. But yeah, sometimes you're a little bit lazy. You know, you, you walk down a, the aisle of the uh, the grocery store. I'm going to pick this, pick that. But uh, what I want to point it out is it, it's a mindset. It's a mindset how far you're going to go and what you want to eat. I hit you in one of your podcasts that you're going to do keto, keto uh, diet. I did that quite a while ago at Paleo. Uh, both are a little bit the same, quite. Uh, keto is more based on, on meat-based, but uh, uh, paleo is done more also with good fats and stuff like that and cut the bread, cut the pasta, cut the alcohol, all that stuff. But the thing is, when you once have that mindset and you go to a grocery store, you can pass 85 to 90% of all the stuff you see because it's not nutrition, bad for your health, too much sugar, too much bullshit and probably a product that someone wants to have and that's why they produce it. And if we are aware that the only thing that we need is good fats like uh, oil of oil, coconut oil, oh, probably the good bacon but not from the farm. Just like you said that, uh, you know, we've been put with medicines and, and stuff like that but the real good bacon, the good fats, we need that. As a human, we need good nutrition like salt, not table salt, Celtic seas, uh, Celtic, uh, um, yeah, sea salt or, or real, real salt, not the things that they're going to put us uh, with everything in our food. Sugar isn't that bad because when you eat an apple, you're going to get some fructose and stuff like that. That's not too bad. Uh, but if you take the raffine sugar, as we call it here, that's bad for your health. So you, if, you, if you see through that, uh, the process of what can I eat and what can I eat, can't I eat, then you are one step ahead of the, all the others. And I was talking about it in a few podcasts before. When there will be a shortage of food, which won't take long, because, um, yeah, a cat in narrow space is going to jump very strange, and probably a lot of governments going to do that, right? So, with that said, <clears throat> when you eat three meals a day and you rely on that three meals a day, you are going to have a very hard time when you go to the grocery store and everything what you see normally is gone. And you have to change your diet dramatically. But when you do that up front, like I'm going to do the keto or the paleo, or I want to be aware of the food that I eat, not filling, but food, nutrition, and stuff like that, that makes so much more sense for your health, for your family, and for your for your being, right? Because it's it's a part of our being to interact with nature. 
whatever that gives. When I walk around in a forest, like uh, in a few months, you see these uh, berries and stuff like that. I mean, it's already there, but you have to see it. And a lot of people, oh, no, I don't like to walk. You know, I, I get my car. Okay. But then you don't see that what nature already brings you and what gives you. And as you talked about it in your podcast, just like nuts, um, very healthy, very good fats in it. You can go wrong with with fats, uh, with nuts. And I heard one of your, um, it was not your guest, but the one who comes every, uh, with the tips on the podcast. Oh, yeah. yeah, with the, uh, the eye, uh, no, the, the egg, the egg, white, and the protein with the two shakes that he bought. Put it on your, uh, you know, on your shelf. It has a very long um, shelf life. And when you really started to get fed up because there's no food around and stuff like that, one scoop of, of, of both of them and some real raw milk, and you're fine. I always have in my dugout case uh, some nuts, uh, some sea salt, um, some collodial silver, which I make myself, and some uh, castor oil. I'm fine. I can I can last for for probably a week when I go really on survival mode, like say, and that that's something that uh, more and more people are aware of. They don't want to fit in that system that's going to shove everything down this down their throat, you know. And you're going to see uh, all these advertisings and stuff like that because a lot of people when they walk outside and they see the farmers now especially with with uh, in the Netherlands what's going on and I think worldwide they see what is this guy doing right he's he's walking on his land five o'clock in the morning eight o'clock in the evening it doesn't matter what time you walk down uh, a field he's there and when you hear what he's making on money from the things that he does, almost zero. Why does he do it? Because it's in his system. It's in his culture to be outside, to ground, to uh, to see what everything is happening, the, the, the whole agriculture stuff and that uh, stuff like that. And I was listening to you um, that you are like in two years time, you had like thousands of dollars for boots, right? I'm skipping branches like a squirrel. I'm sorry for that, but you no, know, it's all right. Yeah, you, um, you and your wife, you, uh, you have a big problem with with good boots. Even the the, the high cost boots, they are um, expensive and they're gonna last like one year, one and a half year. They they're gonna be complete worn out. I got a tip for you. Okay, wooden shoes, my friend. We walk down here. Well, not it's not normal for us, but I, I I got these wooden shoes, right? Wooden shoes, okay. Wooden shoes. So you're grounded at all times. First of all, you're grounded. That's what I want to touch based on. Uh, second of all, these are like safety shoes. It's like uh, water uh, proof, uh, oil proof. You can you can drive a car over it. It's not nothing going to happen. It's a safety wow. shoe still in the Netherlands. Wow. And um, these costs are not that much. Well, I, I made, as you can see, a little bit more spacey. So I hope not NASA is going to see that because they probably <laughs> going to reach out and ask me to make the new uh, pictures of space. <laughs> <laughs> but 
I was talking to Melanie Knight the other day, which were also on my podcast, and she raises her own chicken and rabbits. And she eats them, and they, they take care of each other, and right. take care of the land. Um, and I was talking to her about grounding, and she she never thought about that. And it's a product from, basically from from the Netherlands and a little bit of France and Belgium, but because we got this lowland, uh, wet environment, these things are perfect. You're never gonna have cold feet in the winter. You're never going to have warm feet in uh, in the summer because that's one of the things I'm always have a problem with with like army shoes or you know like the, the the good army shoes you need two pairs one for the summer one for the winter but if you wear them a lot they're going to smell and stuff like that it's bad for your for your for your feet because they don't breathe that that good wooden shoes baby I swear to God. You're going to have to tell me where I can go to buy them. I'll definitely, I'll tell you what, I'll buy some wooden shoes and I'll go out here and do my farm chores in them and I'll give you an honest report. I can, one thing that's already appealing to me is that I know that I'm grounded. That's it. And today I was listening to one of the podcasts with Lisa, Lisa, I think it was, with, uh, um, uh, I was looking at her website for the grounding products, like the the hat. Oh, yeah, yeah, from Redetta, right? Gina, Gina, Gina. There it is. And um, I was thinking about it, and just like, okay, you can ground. And I was walking. I always when I walk, I have a stick with me. Just like from the from the frost, uh, I, I carved that one, and I walk with it like a huh. few years and stuff like that. But when you do that, you ground also. You only need a stick to walk by. So a lot of the people are thinking about, oh, how should I do that? It's going to take me. Like uh, money, or it's gonna take me time, or I have to do this, or I have to do that. You just have to walk barefoot sometimes, or wooden shoes because you're gonna ground directly. And the funny thing is, you feel that inside of you when you are grounded, because it's something like this: um, the stuff that happens, just like you said, when lightning strikes. First of all, you don't like it because it's dark. But second of all, you feel this this veil of of stress and buzzing that's all gone, and that's that's how how it should be, right? I'm right there with you, Rob. And I will tell you what, you're giving me some great ideas. I mean, just the idea of having a walking stick, even if you were wearing boots, would ground you every single time that thing hits the ground. So, I mean. Man, I'll tell you what, if coming on this podcast just to learn that alone was absolutely worth it. It's a joy to be on here with you anyway, but I can't wait to actually do that. I'm going to make a video at some point. You'll have to tell me where the best place to go to go get some um, some wooden shoes. I'll give mm. you a shot, and I'm going to do a, I'm going to farm for a day like I'm in the Netherlands. So, um, yeah. I, oh, yeah. I'm going to send you some some links, man. It's, it's really yeah. fun. I was looking today... At the uh, one of the biggest stores here in the, in the Netherlands, uh, but I have to see what kind of restrictions they have for you know cross border to to America because it's wood and stuff like that, and what eventually the shipping costs will be. So what I wanted to do, and that that, that idea came from one of my podcasts because I was wearing these these wooden shoes like that yeah, like since this year. Uh, because I'm living quite a lot of time in the trailer, which is very cool from the from the ground, 
And since I have these wooden shoes, no problem, man. No problem. When they come in. Um, and so what I'm going to do, and we're going to figure out uh, where you can buy them in America. Probably like a Dutch store or something like that. But these are like the tourists uh, kind of wooden shoes. But they will, they will be fine too, right? And otherwise, I'm going to check out what's it going to cost to ship them to America. And I can make like... Uh, uh, customized painted shoes like disorganized productions wooden shoes I think that's a great idea I would love to give it a shot I mean this what you're saying there makes perfect sense to me and you know I'm always looking for solutions that have been around long ago you go, you guys have been wearing wooden shoes a while ago but I've really got a question for you um, if you don't mind uh, yeah of course so here in the United States of Amnesia we're constantly told of what's happening in Europe in terms of the uh, protesters in the Netherlands and the protesters in France and the ones in Germany. And now it looks like there's some in Poland and a number of other places. What floors me, now I'm told a different thing, so I'm curious to hear from your point of view, in that we're told that your farmers are being told that they're producing too much nitrogen. Mm -hmm. Well, 78% of our atmosphere is nitrogen. And yeah, if it's too much pollution, well, there are ways to mitigate that. You can make it in the compost. Netherlands, like you said, is the number two food producer on the planet. Does it seem as if these restrictions that are being made through the Netherlands, France, Germany, and all these other places, are these done on purpose to starve people? Or what do you think the intention is? Very good question. I think that they have agenda with uh, several points they want to touch base on. First of all, if you cut down the supply of food, you're going to create a crisis. When you have a crisis, you have people that are in need and they want something and you can control them better. Um, and a little bit back, backwards, our farmers, and you, you know, they based all these figures on the, the piece of land that we're living. we living like 300 kilometers like this up and like 285 kilometers that. So it's like 250 miles by, by 200, let's say for, for, no? But it take the exact same figures as Germany, which is 1,000 kilometers by 2,000 kilometers, for example. So the, the, the thing is, the... Food production here in the Netherlands is based, of course, you have to do this and these other regulations, these are the prescriptions and stuff like that. And they did that all the time. So they have to cut back this, they have to do this, you have this green or they have, you know, all these prescriptions they did that and, and uh, new laws that they made. But now what you see is, uh, especially now with the WEF and stuff like that, they want to rule the world and control the world. Well, how do you control people? cut their food off so and it makes no sense because the more oxygen there is or co2 there is in the air the more green you will see so it makes no sense and even if there are people uh which studied that and well i'm going to bring down the lab code you know if if there's someone who, who really studies that and and about climate change and stuff like that and do his work just like okay what we're going to do it anyway, you know? So, um, and if you drive down Europe 
because we are, I'm living in a piece of land like southeast of uh, of the Netherlands. Uh, Ten kilometers away is Germany. Uh, 30, 40 kilometers away, there's, there's Belgium. So I have a little piece of where I see a little bit of all the cultures. Um, there's a lot of agraric uh, stuff going on, a lot of farmers and stuff like that, but not in a harmful way. The harmful way is, well, when I drive like 10 years ago through the same pieces of land, there was farms and cattle and crops. What you see now is, huge warehouses and industry. So what they want to do, and that's probably also that one of the plans they said, is they want to kick out the farmers so they, they control the people that need, of course, uh, food. They control the food supply so they can, they can give you the GMO process, Bill Gates printed bullshit meat or stuff like that, second of all. And third of all, they want to make Tri-City here. So if you look like 50 kilometers, like uh, when I make a, a square, I know when I make a circle here, like 15 kilometers, make it 50 for the, for the, uh, um, to point it out. If I take 50 kilometers, I probably will have 20 million people in that area. There's a big, um, so 10, 15 kilometers away from here in Germany, there's Krupsstahl. So you, you have the biggest, um, the rural port it's called, the metropole, the rural port. That's the biggest uh, steel industry there is. Pollution all the time. But, uh, you know, you got to uh, get, get rid of the farmers because the cows producing farts, and these farts are very dangerous for mankind. So it makes no sense. So from my point of view, to come back to your question, I think it's a game of, um, of control. Is... Um... Are the I know this is your podcast, but I'm just curious because I know no, no, just conversation is my podcast. Conversation, okay, great, yeah, love that. So, so, are the people are the people of the Netherlands and Germany and other are they waking up to what's really happening? I mean, I can tell by the way when I listen to your podcast, I'm thinking, okay, this is a guy that's very awake. He knows what's really going on. How many other people think like you, and how many people are aware? These things are unfolding right now. Hmm. This is a good question. I, I, I'm uh, quite socially uh, distanced in, the, in, in a way of sense that, I, of course, I talk to people more and more on the podcast that, that, uh, about my ideas and stuff like that. There are a lot of people waking up and are fed up by the system. But the thing is, um, when the farmers, for example, in, in Belgium or so, uh, close the borders to protest the normal people that go to work in their car that don't fit in that mindset they think oh these are the you know these are the bastards these are the bad guys so um a lot of people are still very focused on job security like okay uh i know that i need the food but please protest when i'm at work you know <laughs> And that's the same thing with, with every protest. When you have a good protest uh, and it's set up great, everybody says, yeah, we're going to do that. And when time comes, uh, no, oh, I had to get rid of my children. Oh, no, I'm a little bit uh, uh, late for work. Oh, no, it's raining. Oh, no, I had, you know, there are so many excuses. And um, I think that's the biggest problem. So the people that are 
from the bottom of their heart protest for us, they are been put in a bad uh, way from, of course, the news, you know, because they, they say, oh, yeah, there, there's like 12 kilometers of um, traffic jam. So, I'm, oh, no, tomorrow I got to go to work and I need my money for my house and my kids and the stuff. And a lot of them don't realize that if you don't protest now, it's not like protesting for now. It's for our future generations, future generations of farmland, but also future generations of good food that's not processed without GMO. We got grapes without uh, pits, or what's it called, without seeds in it. How are you supposed to eat something from nature that doesn't produce itself when you put it in the ground? Exactly. I can get my... So, so normally, when you go to a grocery store or like uh, um, and you buy some vegetables like uh, some apples and some tomatoes and some paprika, stuff like that for, for 25 bucks. You put it in the ground, even if you don't know anything about farming. You put it in the ground. 20 or 50% will come out and produce you something. That's nature, you know. It, it dies and it it goes along. But nowadays they want to have, you know, yeah, just like said, printed meat and uh, grapes without any seeds in it because uh, it's tasting a little bit better. <laughs> so let me ask you, Rob. Are so with what's going on right now? Obviously, the prices the prices here are going through the roof. The prices there are probably doing the same. Where do you think this leads? I mean, are we talking revolution over there? Are we talking, because it's getting to the point, it seems like people are getting more and more fed up. Do you see yeah. this thing exploding at some point? Or where do you see it going? Or people are just going to take it? We're, we're the Netherlands. So when, when World War II came, our queen just uh, went over the pond to England, right? So, so they're kind of weaseling. When the uh, protests... Um, against this pandemic and stuff like that was going on. And with the, uh, it was like a year or two years ago when the farmers uh, went with their tractors to Den Haag, which is our capital city from uh, the politics, uh, the, the politics statue system, uh, they showed up with the army. And you normally do not have the right to put an army against people that are fed up by a state or by a government. It's not the deal. But they do it anyways, right? So they were very afraid. So uh, what you see is like, you know, the tendons is going up and it's going down. I don't follow any news because I don't care. And I um, I drive as a courier, so sometimes I, yeah, well, uh, I'm stuck in a traffic jam. But hey, you know, um it's, it's like it is. The thing is, um, when it's going to explode in the Netherlands or in France, because France is more like, okay, we're going to shut off everything and they're going to burn all places down. They are really like a, a unity when it comes to protesting against some things. Um, I think there will be a new kind of army, um, the, the, the poodle doodles from... Uh, WEF coming around the corner, uh, probably all the guys that come in because there are, there are not that much women coming in, just like you have on your borders. 
um and they're gonna have um yeah they can fight and uh yeah they can fight for free because they don't have anything to do with our people and they uh probably do not like our people but they're gonna get fat and they're gonna have authority and stuff like that and uh yeah people are falling for that kind of shit and they never learned from uh 70 to 80 years ago when the second world war where your neighbor just turned against you because he had a, not a different state of mind or a, another opinion about stuff or was forced to do some stuff so that's uh yeah it's a good question billy um, I don't know where it's going to head on. Uh, I hope there will be a peaceful solution. But um, to be honest with you, if you see like the, the um, development of the last couple of years, what they did, and when we said, as all of us, like, oh, no, they're not going to do that. Uh, bomb, they did it, you know. They're not going to make a curfew or a, an evening clock. Oh, they did it. Oh, they're not going to cut you off if you walk down the street. Oh, they did it. So very hard to tell what they're going to put out to stop us but with that said there's also a big uh a united consciousness that's awakening that's uh that is not going to take it anymore so yeah it's it's very uh it, it's in a psychology psychological way it's very nice to look at it what's happening but it's also very, uh, yeah, it's very uh, disturbing also. Mm. Yeah, it looks like there's a whole lot of, but, you know, going back to the central point in our conversation, you know, it, the only way around any of this, because we have the same, we have our version of it going on right here in the States. It seems to me the only way around this is to say, screw you to the ju- government mm-hmm. and start growing our own food and stop obeying unjust laws. I mean, just because you make a law doesn't make it right. So I'm not going to obey a law that is unjust. Mm-hmm. In certain places around here, it's unjust to feed to feed other people. Well, that's not a law I'm going to play along with. Um, oh, it's my a, God. Yeah, so, I mean, there are things that are just, you're going to tell me I can't grow food or I can't produce food or I can't give it to somebody. Um I'm just not going to play along. And if they throw me in jail for it, well, so be it. I mean, I'm mm. hoping it doesn't come to that. But by all measurements, it looks like this thing is escalating and escalating and escalating. And it's always a joy to be able to talk to somebody like you. Um, I was talking to a guy from Ireland the other day, and um, he said basically the same thing. It's like people are – he said almost the same thing you said in terms of perspective. So many people just don't want to see or they don't want to be inconvenienced. Mm. And so at what point do you finally say enough is enough? Same thing's happening over here. And the only way that I see around all of this is to produce your own food, even if it's unjust. Mm. Work with your neighbors, even if it's unjust or even if it's unlawful. You create a community. Yeah. When you get down to it, you got to have some level of community. And in some places, it starts even virtual. There are people I know that I know only through the virtual world. And I'm pretty much the only friend they have because they have a family that can't understand what it is they see and what they see happening. And so the only friendship, the only way they can kind of make all this work is to be in this area. And that's that's what I'm really thinking about doing, Rob, is I want to come up with a festival 
Mm-hmm. And I'm still working on it up here where all of us throughout the world could somehow participate, hopefully here in the States. I don't even know if it's possible. Where all of us people who can't find other people that think like we do or, you know, just have a gathering place where even for a couple of days, mm-hmm. we could all get together and say, hey, man, you know what, Rob, it's great to hug you and shake your hand to meet you in person to do those things. Because I think there's so many of us on the planet that see things differently, but we can't find community anywhere except in the virtual world. Mm. Maybe we could somehow get together, create something that's worthwhile where we all benefit. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But the thing is, what we see here is what when you have a, a peaceful protest against something the government puts you up, uh, riot police coming in and going to smash your face, right? That's one of the things. And when you see that with other uh, other people do that, let, let me say that very carefully because otherwise I'm going to, you know, going to kick some people to the chin. Uh, but with other people do that, it's okay, you know, please uh, escort them and it's it's everything is fine. And it's it's not like I see that only here. I see that everywhere. They want to conquer and divide every single day. But we have to let loose the religion, the background, the what where you come from it does we're on this planet and we're stuck it's not like you know what uh i'm gonna i'm gonna take a trip with my uh, uh with my spaceship i'm i'm out of here you know there, there's no way you, you can hang around in the air for like 12 or 13 hours to go to another continent but there's the same shit going on you know if you look at um uh this british guy he made this documentary about earth about the amazon in brazil what it was like 20 years ago and what they cut down. Just like when I cut down a tree in my yard, I'm going to going to have probably the police or whatever kind of organization on my front door just like, oh, you can't cut that tree. Well, why do you cut complete forces down for what? Great point. And that's, that's also, you know, it's a... It's a mindset that we need to uh, come by, and especially when you uh, uh, when you went to that kind of topics, that you can tell the people that wealth is not the money they make or the job they have or the house they have. That's not wealth. That's reliabilities that you want, and you got to pay a price for that one. And guess what? If you do it one or two things not like they want to, they kick you out and you don't have them at all. You know, they can take away your car just like that, your house, your family, whatever. So you're basically walking on a very thin line. But if you look at the community that sponsors each other, like, okay, I got some fruit or I got some bacon or people, just like people like you and me that say, Oh, you come over for dinner. Oh, man, great. We have a barbecue. We're going to grab a beer or whatever. You know, that's the thing we're going to go back to. And we have to go back to because otherwise we will be isolated and um, probably going to die because we think that there's no one else around us. And that's good why you do podcasting about teaching people um, how to take care of their own land and, and how to grow their food. And why we have podcasts in the community and Truth Seekers community is not like only Flat Earth or NASA is a lie. No, it's about there are other ways to have a very fruitful, meaningful, loving life without all the bullshit around. 
because it's it's just like the the energy that you're going to turn off or the lighting that strikes. Well, when that is gone, it's silence, man. Well, that's exactly where I see us heading. I mean, we're the we we are a culture, and I say this often. We know the price of everything and the value of nothing. Mm. Like we, you know, these things that really, really mean. I'll be honest with you, Rob. When I say this to my wife, she's probably hot, tired of hearing me say it all the time. But the most joyful thing I get out of every day is when I see the happiness of my farm animals when I move them to a new pasture. That to me is joy. When I get out here and I'm realizing I don't have to wait in traffic, I don't have to do all these other things, I can take a moment, sit down with my feet on the ground, my bare feet on the ground, ground, do a little deep Wim Hof breathing. That's another guy from your place, but do some Wim Hof breathing and then sit there for a moment, take it all in, and then find out what is the next best great idea. How can I get more people to understand that this is entirely achievable, that that a person who didn't come from this background doesn't necessarily have to have a bunch of land to farm. You can grow a little bit. You can grow microgreens. You can make it. You can eat it every single day. There are little things you can do. What about the public areas? You know, there are public areas all the way around. We got national parks here. Well. You know, everybody's growing weed in the national parks, but nobody ever thought about growing tomatoes. Just like Joel Salad talked about. You know, you're growing weed out there. Okay, that's great. Well, anybody want to grow some food? I mean, <laughs> and that's that's the same thing, right? You just have, have to put some seed in the ground. Right. And but you can do all of it. You could you could grow your hemp, you can grow whatever it is you grow out there, but you could also grow some food. You know, what I used to do years ago. I was uh, in Kansas at the time. I was working at a, on a very big campus for uh, one of the Veterans Administration's hospitals. I would plant fruit trees hidden among the other trees out there. I would plant, I was basically doing this underground food forest in all these different places out there that only I knew about. And it's like, so if anybody ever found themselves out there walking in the woods, which nobody almost ever did, you would come across an apple tree that was great. You'd come across a pear tree that was great that I planted. And it didn't require much expense from me. So there's all those different ways, even if you're farming on land that you don't even own. It could be public land. You could put in a nut tree here that nobody ever, you walk by it, you never think about it. You go buy a fruit tree. There's all these different underground ways in which you can be growing food in all these weird unusual crazy places they could benefit everybody and that's what it's going to take because if it if it's up to klaus schwab and the other people at the wef or bill gates or oprah or all these other people who view you and me is nothing more than insects if we take our marching orders from them then we're going to end up the way they want us to yeah but it's up to us we just got to find that community we just got to put a little bit of work in and realize, you know what? Life is so much better. Even though, I'm, even though I'm working 10 times harder than I ordinarily would, I work harder, but the satisfaction of the work I do is extraordinary. And because of you, you know what? I'm going to start wearing wooden shoes. Yeah, man. Yeah. I think Cheesy Chong had uh, uh, this movie coming to Amsterdam, and, and I think the... 
Cheech was wearing them. Just like, I got, I got wooden shoes. Yeah, but, but the funny thing is, it, it was um, like a century ago, it was for the, for the people that didn't have the money, and it was a robust, good shoe, right? So, and there was like in the year, in the 70s, there was a little bit this hippie movement where people were walking on, uh, uh, on wooden shoes. Um, and I have to be honest with you, I'm a rocker, man. I love rock and roll music and metal, uh, oi punk and stuff like that. So I'm not into like, oh, I'm going to wear wooden shoes. But the benefits I have now when I'm at home, these are so much more. And they, and they are very good for your feet also. It's uh, orthopedic or what's it called? I think, yeah. yeah, orthopedic also because you 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 basically walk um, your 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 whole feet in the in the sole. So after a while, it's gonna um, form like your feet, and it's uh, it's it's unbelievable. But th- that's one of the things too with all the in-stream from a lot of other cultures, which is not bad in the first place. But a lot of um, countries dealing with that their own traditions and their own own culture. I'm going to be swept away just like, oh, no, we're going to do this now. Oh, okay. When I walk down in, in Rotterdam or in Amsterdam, there's barely a store where I can speak Dutch because everybody's speaking English. Like, wow. What? And, of course, I speak English. I speak German. But that doesn't mean that I have to, you know, th- Sometimes it's really fun when when you walk down in uh, in Amsterdam or so, and somebody speaks to you in Dutch. It's like, oh wow, <laughs> you know, we we are the the dinosaurs that never exist that going to be wiped away from this planet. And I think that is the whole idea behind the agenda. To come back at your point, to make this tri-state city, especially here where I live, because I'm in the in the fuck middle of it. Um, they have every warehouse stuck with all the shit that you don't need. They um, they, they probably have all these factories already been set up where they can print meat and they can uh, biolab the the the, uh, the bananas and the, and the, the grapes and stuff like that. So um, and and with that said, if you if you walk down the streets even here in this countryside, there is like. No way that you can have five miles without cameras. So everything is under control. And especially for a lot of people that listen to, they will realize before this pandemic hit, there were some uh, towers, you know, like, oh, did they, you know, for the Wi-Fi or for the 5G, whatever they, they were for communication. But after that period, when everybody stayed home or had to stay home, it's just like, what, the, you know, every one and a half, two miles, there's popping up this, 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 these towers. So my internet is sometimes so bad that why are these towers then? And I think you, you pointed out in one of your podcasts, it's probably because they want to turn out the, the microwave because they, you know, they feed us with so many things in the ether that we can't see, like radio waves, like gamma waves, like ultraviolet and stuff like that. We can't see that, but you're going to feel it as a human. A lot of people are aware and want to be sitting at home in their virtual reality. Um, I guess they had a podcast with um, Seven Club, who is very successful on um, pointing things out on TikTok. 
and we talked about it and they want to create the, this virtual meet meta meta thing so you can basically have a totally shitty life shitty surrounding but you put on your vr um movie blah blah and you're in into you know you're a fat person like 200 pounds or 400 pounds and you can be a skinny girl walking down the beach and people gonna go at you you're just like what happened to humans you know it's 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 that next step into uh, a surreal surreal reality let's call it that way yeah it was like steven spielberg's movie ready player one that's exactly what it was about you know you have this crappy life and you can escape it all in this little matrix that you put that they've prepared for you and that is really true to life and where it's going and sadly Rob, I'll be honest with you. I see so many people that would be that would happily go into that existence, but for me, that's not living. That's not living. That's no matter how great they make it. I'm going to stay in the real world because that's where I'm meant to be. Um, you know, it's not always fun and games, as you well know. It's not always joy. It's not always happy. You're going to lose animals. You're gonna you're going to lose people sometimes. But that's part of where that that's part of life. That's just what it's supposed to be. So the only way I see it, the only way I see it is honestly, bro, I'll be honest. You make me feel less alone in the world because I don't get out much. I really don't. I leave maybe once a week, twice at the most, and I don't see people very much. But when I do, ordinarily, the average person I see on the street is like a zombie mm. doing for the program to do like a like somebody has marionette strings yeah it's like they're doing whatever their programming is you can barely have a conversation at least with most of the people i come across and if you do it to have it about anything worthwhile is nearly impossible mm. you make me feel less alone in this world i'm i'm so glad you invited me on this podcast we'll have to have you on the pimp cast sometime talking yeah, about to man Thank you too, but th that's one of the greatest things that that happened to me for now, like two and a half months, when I start podcasting. You're, you're, by the way, about <laughs> you're number thirty-three. Podcast number thirty-three. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You are no number thirty-three, my friend. From where? I I don't understand number thirty-three. Podcast podcast number thirty-three. On what platform? You mean like organized productions? Oh my god. Oh, this is the, the 33 33 uh, Oh my goodness, man. Okay, people are gonna eat me up over that, bro. No, oh, that, that's no problem. That's no problem. <laughs> but just like you pointed out, the, the 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 thing is, I'm driving in this car, uh, and they call me, can you deliver a package and stuff like that? I'm gonna ask them how much time because I do the podcast and do some other stuff. So I'm very flexible in that. Always when I drive. I'm, I'm, you know, I have a smile on my face. And why is that? There was a process because I was, once I was a very angry uh, young man. He was uh, very subjective about a lot of topics that he's going to see on Facebook and stuff like that. And uh, I had to deal with some health problems and some, uh, and a burnout after that one. And, um, I basically I had to change. There was no way that I that I could live now when it didn't change. So so I took that moment to change. But when I look at now and when I go to the grocery store or just like you said, if you just go to to a village or a town, you see how many people 
having everything that they possibly could think of and are not aware of that and looking down and sober, uh, no, not sober, but, uh, uh, you know, with with their head down and stuff like that, just like, what the hell, man? You, you're driving in this big car, go to that big house, you have all the food you have, you have a probably a loving family, and all the stuff that you don't have fetch you up sometimes. Yeah. Why don't you put your energy into the stuff that really is necessary to love and caring why do a lot of people mess up their relationship first of all they're not honest to each other that, that that's one of the first things that they don't talk about stuff don't talk like oh i don't like that if you do that okay okay my bad i'm trying to figure it out to to not do that again for example but it don't, they don't communicate what they do is oh i know that she doesn't like that, like uh, she doesn't like potatoes, so I will never eat potatoes again. Well, screw you, I will eat potatoes, but I'm not going to serve you them because you don't like them. That's a different story, right? Right, right. That's and th that's something that, and there are a lot of people stuck in this bubble about this job security that they have to do it to, you know, pay the car and pay the house, that they work with two people. Uh, in the early days, I'm 51 years young now. In the early days, my mom was at home. Every time when I get home, my mom was at home. My parents were divorced after a while. But in that time, you have one, the, the guy was providing the food and they went, well, may, maybe one or two times a year on uh, on holidays. And that was basically life. The, 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 you know, but when you look at in a, in a family right now they both work the kids are been uh, into the indoctrination camps or they have a babysitter or they don't see Palma. and once a year they go with Christmas they go uh, uh, to to buy the newest Xbox the, the biggest screen and some 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 good uh, video games to shut the you know shut up because here's our love <laughs> yeah yeah, and that's that's something that's wrong with this society. We don't we don't think about the choices what we that we made, what consequences that they have. Because you can change every single day, but you have to willing to change. If I fuck up today, I can do it better tomorrow. But don't look back to yesterday where I screwed up. You know that was me yesterday, but I can create myself a new one. Today, exactly on this point. That's exactly that's exactly the key is, um, you know, like you, we're about the same age. I'm 53 years old. And, um, you know, it's I've seen and so have you. I've seen this world go from an area where what it was and where it is is unbelievable to me. It's mm -hmm. it's hard for me to even comprehend a lot of what I see going on. But then. That's where I'm saying, okay, you know what? Like I told you back in 2008 when things went all sideways for me, in retrospect, it was the best thing that ever happened to me. Being on the brink of losing everything was really the best thing that ever happened to me because it brought me to this place. Mm. Well, like there was a there was a Victor Hugo that said, adversity makes men, prosperity makes monsters. We've all been prosperous for quite a while. And when you hit that level of prosperity, and we'd been at it for a while, 
you fundamentally create a society of people that once again know the price of everything and the value of nothing. Mm. So we have to have this giant fall. I'm not looking forward to it. I don't want to see it happen, but it has to happen Mm. because cyclically it happens roughly every 80 to 100 years throughout the last 500 years that we can think of. I mean, Strauss' whole process. Yes, yes. It's it's called the fourth turning by Strauss and Al. It's where it describes it over and over and over again. These processes happen. And right now we're on the precipice of probably some bad things unfolding. But the idea is we get through it, get to the other side, and hopefully you and I are some of the older leaders, statesmen, so to speak, that are trying to speak truth to power and truth to all these people that have just lived through a calamity that they don't know how to process. Like you were saying a moment ago, World War II, mm. you know, it was a hellscape in Europe for a while. And then it gets better, and then we get it too good for a while, and then we go right back down again. Yep. So I think that's what we are, but... I think I think I see solutions out there, and not everybody's going to see it. Mm. Not everybody does see it, and usually it takes that crucible of really hard times to make a person who now cares about these things. That once upon a time, like you said, you see people waiting for the latest Xbox, you see people waiting for the latest gadget, or to go on the latest this or the latest that, and uh, we're getting to the point where I got a feeling all of these things are about to collapse. Mm comes out of it what comes out of it can be the best thing that ever happened to humanity but it can't contain it can't possibly happen on the road we're on we have to hit no no this is crash this is crash sites yes. and there's no way that uh, you know there are some things in life that you can value right and, and I think there was a lot of materialistic things going on like my mom all the respect to her, she, she never had a war. So my grandparents, they had like Second World War and the First World War. My mom grew up just like uh, 47. So until now, there's only, you know, oh, this is good. And this, I got a house, I got this, I got that. That there was no struggle in their life. Not that I'm struggling at all. But the thing is, if you look at the generation now and you're going to say there's a war going on, they're probably going to ask their mobile phone to their friends, hey, guys, I'm on Twitter now. Is there a war because I don't see anything or whatever? You know, and it's it's also, of course, that the system provides you some things that we can control. I see a lot of cars from uh, Ukraine driving here. It's like, okay, well, there's a war, isn't there? Yeah, there's a war. But we didn't check that out. So I can, and there there are some things I want to point out. There was this uh, documentary about a a woman. I think she was Jewish. And she pointed out that there were a lot of people, uh, like five kilometers surrounded in, um, uh, in Auschwitz, that she blamed that they didn't see that that big problem and the, the the massacre that was there. But I can tell you right now, Billy, when there's something happening like one block away, I don't know mm-hmm. if there are people slaughtered, if there's a accident or a fire. I don't know, man. So how could you point out that there's something going on there and you, you, you all of them, you know, and that's what we 
need to get rid of. We need proof. And it's also in the truths com community where we're in. It's not like that we do not want to accept the truth that they're saying, but we want facts. And when you are in a normal class and you have some questions, they're going to be answered. And with your most plausible truth, you would say, huh, that makes sense. Oh, I never saw it that way. But when you're going to have some, oh, this is it, and you're going to question that, oh, no, 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 no. We pointed out this is it, shut up, or there will be consequences. Well, that's not the way, that's not the way a society should work or how we uh, could question science or scientism, as it's called nowadays, of course. Right. And that's the thing. They say there's that. Uh, you were talking about like 80 billion or 60 billion dollars are going to be spent to the Ukraine. Uh, what about all the homeless people? What about the people? Uh, Metallica had this number, um, the song one about the, yeah. uh, the 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 veterans that came back. You were in in the, in the army. You you come back and you've been treated like shit. Well, what about that? You know, how could you explain to me that you're going to millions? Billions thrown into something like flushing down a drain, and you just tell your people, "Oh yeah, harden the fuck up," you know, because you know, you know, thank you for your service. Well, what? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's exactly what we see going on. It shows, you know. And then speaking of that sort of thing, you know, Henry Kissinger just died a little while ago. He was an evil sob in my view, but you know, if the American people and I'd say the people of the world knew what that man really thought. You know, he, he is quoted as saying, military men are big, stupid animals that should be used as tools for foreign policy. He was quoted by that by Bob Woodward. And it made no difference in the American public. Because if you're telling me the former Secretary of Defense and Secretary of State is saying this, why would I ever agree to go to a war? Mm. That's how you view me and my family. I will never, ever, ever serve in any other capacity. Now, when I was in the Army, I was dumb, and I didn't know a lot of this stuff. I had to learn it afterwards. But if if, if I knew those things, there's a likelihood I would never have served. If you're telling me that I'm just a puppet, and that's exactly how they treat us, that's exactly how they see it, not just soldiers, but all of us. Mm. If you're part of um, Klaus Schwab and his ilk, if you're not part of those guys, then you don't even exist in my view, in their view. Yeah, yeah. So they have no problem setting you against me and me against you or us against Ukraine. Exactly. Or, or they, they have no I. They probably think, now I, I guess I can get a little conspiratorial here, but honestly, I really think that all of these wars and some of the authors that I'm aware of have written extensively about this, a lot of these wars, I would even say World War One and World War Two to it, and we can go back hundreds of years, really, where a lot of these royal elites get together and say, hey, you know what? We got too many people over here. We need to thin them out a little bit because the food might get a little tight. What do you say we have a war? Mm. And I think it really goes down that way. I mean, I'm simplifying it, but I really think that's how the powers that shouldn't be view all of us. And the only way to get ourselves out of this is to not play. It's exactly. not 
in the game is to remove myself from it. Oh, okay, you want to start a war over here? Well, I don't know that guy. I'm not going to go kill him. You want me to start a war over here? Well, I don't know that lady. I mean, I look at what's going on in places like Gaza, where it's it's a complete hellscape right now. In my view, it seems as if I see, then that's provided if what I'm seeing is true. I'm seeing downright genocide being done by Israel to the people in Gaza. Mm. But nobody has anything to say about it. What, because those people are worthless or, you know, maybe something else goes on. And now that they say, okay, America, we need you to get involved. I'm going to encourage everybody I know to say, you know what? The hell with that. Mm. I ain't going to be involved. And I don't think you should either because they view you as, quote, a big, stupid animal that should be used as a tool for foreign policy. Mm. So in Germany, they call it, uh, in German, they call it Kanonenfutter. The the uh, okay. kind of sort of gun, you know, just like that. Yeah, we call that cannon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's it's been pointed out by by a lot of things. Just like uh, I think America waited until 1944 in, in World War II when they blew up uh, a ship to make the uh, American public so angry that they had uh, the free card to go to war because there was a lot of money spent. And a lot of money to gain, right? I think Ford, uh, Henry Ford, was also one of the, uh, um, uh, yeah, the, the 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 pro pro Hitler because he knew he was just like, oh, that there's a lot of industry going on there. That, that there's a lot of money involved. But what about that? So because there's money involved, we should put other lives to danger because of what? You know, money is printed paper. It's only the value I'll give it or you give it that what makes it a value. Well, what's more value? Printed paper and I said, this is $10,000 and I write it down or I give you an apple. Well, choose. <laughs> I well, think it was, a, good, a good thing would be that um, the zero point whatever percent in the world that have too much money, they should be locked up with their money for like a month and see who's coming out. You know, it, to your point, what most people don't realize, and if you check out the the work of researchers, intrepid researchers, like people like Anthony Sutton, you find out real quick that every single Ford factory that was located in Germany, not one of them was bombed. Every single Nazi tank had Ford engines in them. So it goes to show you that this stuff is not at all what they tell us no there was i mean all of the factories that would have ended with that would have made it nearly impossible for germany to conduct war were not bombed at all they were not even in any of the reports but if you go back further you know we see the same thing over and over and over again okay world war one um we were told babies on bayonets and the tragedy in belgium and then we find out years later that all of it was a manufactured lie. Okay, the sinking of the Lusitania, which got America into World War One, We were told it was just a passenger vessel. Well, 99 years later, the British declassified what was actually on that boat. The Lusitania was carrying all kinds of armaments, and in fact, what blew it up is that when it was torpedoed, it hit one of the areas where all the torpedoes were located on there. So we find out later on that's a lie. World War II, we know that President Roosevelt knew that 
In fact, we knew without, without a doubt that Pearl Harbor was going to happen and let it happen just to get us into a war. Vietnam, the Gulf of Tonkin incident, which got us into Vietnam, we find out years later didn't actually happen. And that's coming from the Secretary of State, Robert McNamara, who later on admitted it. Okay, first Gulf War. We see this girl who just happened to be a Kuwaiti ambassador right there in front of Congress or in front of the UN claiming that she saw babies, just like World War I, thrown on the cold floor, and then we find out later on that it was a PR stunt, and she was actually the daughter of a Kuwaiti ambassador. And then 9-11. I don't know, I don't know where everybody stands on 9-11 in the Netherlands, but those of us that have two thinking brain cells knows that it was an inside job. Yep. So that brought to another war. And so every single step, I could probably go through the entire 20th century mm. in the 21st, war after war after war after war is a manufactured lie. And it's out there to put us at each other's throats when really, you know what? Every time I've been to another country, we get along just fine. Yeah. It's not yep. people are say, this person is your enemy. Go kill them. I'm not going to play along when I know that all this stuff is basically a manufactured lie one, up one side and down the other. And I don't know how you see it in Europe, but this is how I see it right here in the United States. Same. The same. Uh, it, it's something like a lot of people know that uh, things are scripted. And I found out several times in the podcast, I wouldn't know who's writing the script because the players yeah. of the script, you know, the actors like if you are Biden or Trump or whatever mask you have, you, you should be a real Grammy award, you know? They should put up a show just like the the real shit show. Like these are the actors that 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 deceived you, and the play is uh, by S. Spielberg or whatever his name is, you know. And and uh, now we we'll continue with the normal stuff. We pointed out that it was all fake because it's all fake, right? If you don't believe in that bullshit and you uh, you live a normal life and you don't look at television, you, you, you just feel and you do things that are supposed to be good for your own perspective with a positive mindset. Hey, nothing happens, man. No one is going to knock on my door. And if they show up, they're going to have a real big conversation with me or a debate if I'm willing to. That That's also a point. Oh, we want to talk to you. Well, I don't want to talk to you. So what about what, you know? And there's a lot of people that are waking up. A lot of people are um, knowing there's a script. But we want to point out who's a script writer. Even the WEF, it's a script. It's a play. They put it up because you can't tell me that a non-chosen organization is going to rule the world. No one with, with a little bit of mind well, with a little bit of brain cells, as you as you as you said, um, can imagine that uh, uh, an organization like that is going to rule the world. It's like the Hell's Angels going to tell, oh, by the way, we're going to run the police. Well, uh, but we are the police. Shut up. We are an organization that's been pointed out by ourselves, and we're going to protect and serve. Uh, okay. Well, that's not going to happen, right? So. I think it's all conquer divine and to deceive and to mistreat and stuff like that. And uh, the more we talk about it, 
even when you look at, uh, I love this guy, George Hobbs, you know, Fact Father, oh, yeah. Frank Honduran and the Flat Earth Files. That's how I started to get in contact with Raul from the Firmamental. I'm Firmamental, you're a baby, you know? Oh, That's yeah. how we got to get in contact and stuff like that. Um, even that we say, oh, they're going to shut us down. We're still on the platforms. Why? Because they can't filter out all that stuff that everybody is telling. It's like when you went on the streets when there was uh, the, this pandemic, right? You weren't allowed after 10 o'clock in the evening to go on the streets or you should have a permission. Well, I just went down because it went uh, on, a, on a countryside. But what would they do? But one thing I was remembering was like, I'm going to put my cell phone at home or let's stay at home because normally they can track everything. And when you have a big screen, you see all the traffic going on, like thousands of cars or hundreds of cars. And in the evening, tens of cars, you can figure out, oh, he's going to work. He's, oh, what's that car doing there? Because that's off. Hey, uh, Johnny, check it out. What's that car doing? They can pull you over and ask you, what are you doing, right? When COVID hit and when we had a um, this curfew, curfew, they could point it out, oh, oh, there goes Johnny. We, well, we we can wait, you know, because they, they didn't have all the masses of, of traffic going on, but just like, oh, this is going on, that is going on. And what the what has been told here is that it was an experiment. Well, if you know the two movies, Das Experiment or The Experiment, how did that went? Well, not good for the people that were volunteered and some of them, there were guards, some of them were prisoners, and the guards, you know, you give someone a badge in a community and, and without anything saying, he, he was just like, oh, look at me, I got a badge. Hey, what do you, what you got? Where you got that from? Oh, I got this from uh, Superior One, man. Uh, this is my badge. <laughs> yeah, but that's that's the stupidity of people, and that, that's working also in World War II, right? I give you a badge, or I give you, like... And I don't want to kick chins against policemen and stuff like that. But authority, okay, you know, but you're not standing above me. That can't, There is no human being that can stand above me. You can have maybe, you have a title that says that, but that's something completely different, my friend. If you're going to yeah. point out that you have a title, I have a title too. I'm the emperor of Rob. The emperor, yeah. friend. All the kings will bow to me because I'm the emperor. Self-made title. Yeah, they're, that's exactly what they count on. But sadly, so many people are willing to be spoon-fed all of their knowledge instead of examining the world for them, themselves. Mm. And take this full circle. That's the beauty of permaculture, is that one of the biggest elements of, or one of the... Um, one of the 12 um, features of permaculture is to observe and interact. So you can't possibly do that when you're in a matrix that somebody else created for you. Hmm. But like you were saying a moment ago, I can walk out in the woods and I can look around me and that's honest. I can see that, you know, that is, that is honest nature. I can look at that. I can take it home. I can replicate it on my farm. Well, it's pretty impossible to do in a world that they create for you. So 
that's really what we got to get down to, man. We we got to start asking critical questions about what we're being told, what they're telling us, who the enemy is, who we should hate, who we should love, all these other things. Stop for a minute, look around you and ask yourself what's true and what is it? Mm. And think for yourself. I mean, really, if I, if I could leave you with anything and what everybody ought to start doing is no matter what it is, examine it with your own brain and ask yourself, what are my conclusions? How do I arrive at this? Did I do the who, what, where, when, why, and how? Did I do that for myself or did I, did I let somebody else do it for me? And that's really, I think that's how we start healing things. And like you were saying a moment ago, it's people like George Hobbs that do incredible things out there. I didn't know about his podcast until Raul, good friend of mine over at the um, Firma Metal podcast, told me about it. So I check him out. And then Raul tells me about you. I check you out. And I'm like, man, I love, I love what these guys are saying. I love what they're doing. And then, you know, his podcast. And then it creates this, it creates a groundswell, I think, of all of us that maybe there's somebody who, who's never done a podcast before that they say, you know what? I got a point of view on this. Maybe I'll do a podcast. Maybe exactly. I'll have I'll have Rob on my podcast or have Billy on there. And then all the people that listen to me, maybe they hear, they start. I, I think if we keep this up, if we keep the momentum, this sooner or later, they either have to cut us off completely or people are going to wake up. It's going to hit a critical mass where it, it finally explodes. And I'm hoping that's what happens. I hope I hope we have a, I don't want to see bullets flying. I want to see an intellectual revolution. Mm. That's what I want to see. Yeah. Maybe, maybe people like you, bro, we can, we can get there. Oh yeah, absolutely. And and the thing is, it's not me. It's it's the the uh, it's the energy that that we provide to each other, and uh, and to know that you're not alone in this. And I know how how it feel how it feels to be isolated. I got two hearing aids. That's quite a uh, uh, an isolation. But it's also isolation when you have some things that you want to shout off the roof, just like whoa, people, look at this. And that your friends or family, your closest people in your inner circle say, are you okay? Or don't tell me that. Or, you know, that, that's that's feeling like isolation too because the people that you have fun with that you talk normal, normal bullshit with, you know, that they're going to accept that. Right. Uh, when it, when it's just like, uh, oh, how are you, good son? You want another beer? Uh, ooh, ooh, ooh. That that's okay, but if you go into some topics and you have some real discussions or some dialogue, because discussions are not that good either, but if you have a good dialogue, you don't have to agree with someone, so you can agree upon that you disagree, but you should still have that conversation going on about other topics and not sh shut people down because they have a different point of view because of one of these things. A lot of that happened in, in, in uh, pandemic times when they said, Oh, I'm. Uh, I got the jab, but I don't. And they just split after twenty years or thirty years of friendship. What? Uh, you know, I can't. It's something that's. I can get my rebel out with that, and I, I think that's why I, I'll be more in nature now and more aware and very grateful and blessed with the things I have right now. That made me more aware of. Um, of, of nature for, for me uh what i see in, in nature is that is the mirror of god 
look at this Garden of Eden that we have. You put a seed in the ground, you wait for some time, and something is popping up, blooming, and make fruit, and you can eat it. I mean, if you don't see that, and a lot of people don't see that when they live in a city, you know, stocked up like 50 stores high, uh, go on a concrete road in the in their stupid car or in the bus, stuff like that, to their work, uh, in, in a big, big warehouse, like, you know, there's nothing green, nothing nature around it. And they go uh, fed up, they go uh, home, cook some um, poisonous meal. <laughs> Probably yeah. in a microwave, and, and you know, do the same things again. And then they, uh, when, when they die on when they're 43, everybody says, Oh, I didn't see that coming. Well, I saw that from a mile away. You know, what did they do to make it? What did they do to, to see that there's so much more if you know where to look at? Because the signs are already there, and that doesn't mean if it's uh nature sign or the signs of your body, the sign of your nails. No, I, I got um I eat quite some uh, some coconut oil and stuff like that. I have to trim my 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 fingernails like weekly. And I have this copper bottle where I store my uh uh my water and I have this water purifier, a Berkey, which is um having a a, a trial from America and from uh, uh, the European Union because they're giving you too good and healthy water. Right. So I had to purchase that one for my birthday last uh, month. And I got one. And since then, I never, ever drink every, no water for me, only the filtered water. And just like I said, every week I have to cut my fingernails. And it's winter. Wow. In the summer, it will be twice a week, 100%. My hair grows like you can't see that, but I'm I, I normally shave it right. This is like three days. Wow. Yeah, it's all there. Well, well I have to get one of those copper flasks, man. It sounds like um, I mean, man, it sounds like you know I'd love to be in the same room with you and you know have a great conversation. Maybe that can happen one of these days. You know, we got a lot of fans over in Europe, too, so I, I would love to get over there if we still have a planet here before long. So uh, maybe me and my wife can get over one of these days and I can actually shake your hand, bro. Oh, love to, man. Love to. Love to, Hawk. And uh, I, I'm a, I'm a hugging, uh, hugging kind of guy. And I'll show you around. I mean, it's beautiful here and there's a lot of history here. If you see, for example, um, I have this, uh, this motorcycle uh, friendship group. We all drive uh, Honda VFRs. Uh, I have a VFR VTEC myself. Uh, and the first route, um, the tour, is going to be 17th of March. And I stepped out like 153 kilometers here in the south of the Netherlands. Only castles. So we, we're going to drive in this this beautiful uh, hilly. There are no mountains and stuff like that. But in this hilly uh, uh, surroundings... Um, with all castles, but if you go cross border in Germany, you really think like, how did they manage to get a castle on a top of a mountain? And these things are like five, six, seven hundred years old, right? It's not like oh, they're gonna put it there with some new machinery. No, somebody with a car and a buggy 
<laughs> over a horse and a buggy. And it's it's really it's more astonishing to see, like if you're walking down in Africa and you come out in uh, Egypt and you see the pyramids, just like how did how did that happen? When? How? And it's the same thing here. And and um, yeah, it, the history of Europe is of course quite quite long, and probably America's history is exactly that long. But they started counting when they thought Columbus was on land. But Leif Erikson, the Swedish guy, he was probably thinking like, who was... <laughs> you know, they rigged our history so many times. And just like you pointed out a few minutes ago, if you lie constantly about the events that are massive for a lot of people, if it's going to be blowing up a boat, if it's going to be... Uh, attack on American soil or Europe soil doesn't matter if you fake these things what else I mean I don't want to have a relationship with a rat you know if somebody rats me out as as a as a friend of mine I mean buzz off you know don't knock on my door I'm not gonna drink beer with you ever again because you know you screwed up but why do we allow these people to get so much power and I don't think it's. I don't think it's it's healthy for a human to get that much power, even if you don't ask for it. But you know that that people are going to say in the community, "Just you are a leader." That gives you so much pressure, and you're going to have this. I I think there's a switch. Like oh, so I can say, jump, and you say how high. Oh, that's interesting. Well, that's not the way it should be. You know. It's fascinating. Billy, it's so fascinating. Yeah, it is. But fundamentally, most people would rather be told what to do than to think for themselves. They see they see thinking for themselves as more painful than just marching to the orders. But they don't understand, by and large, at least from my experience, they don't understand how wonderful it feels to wake up every single day as I do and I get to decide how this day unfolds instead of somebody telling me how it unfolds. It takes more work, but it's far more fulfilling. Mm, exactly. Exactly. The time is running fast uh, because I don't like time. Okay. I hear that. I don't live in a dimension where time is, uh, is, uh, is existence because uh, time is something that is invented by people. <laughs> well, that's true. That is true. Yeah. Yeah. I, speaking of time, I got there's things I gotta get done here before long. But man, I tell you, it's been a real joy to be able to talk to you. Yeah, same here, man. Same here. But I won't let you go until you finish my twelve questions, Billy. Alrighty, let's do it. All right, I'm gonna pull them uh, up. The first question will be, what is your definition of God? God. Oh wow, man. Um. Well, to me. Um, God is the encompassment of all there is, all there ever was, and all there ever will be. And I think he sent his son Jesus to die for all of our sins and to be risen and at his right hand. That, to me, is God. Mm-hmm. And what's your uh, description of the devil? Oh, the devil. Well, I take a, a Christian version of that as well. The devil is a former angel of 
light Lucifer. And um, I think he's having his way with this planet right now. Oh, yeah, he's having a fruitful time right now. But he won't win. That's for sure. That's right. All right. Uh, Billy, what's your favorite color? Black. Because it's not a color. Mm. Exactly. Same as with, with white. White and black are not colors, people. Let, look it up. Yep. What's your favorite kind of music? Oh, man. That's um, that's the toughest question yet. Um, I listen to music that basically most people have never heard of. I like people that nobody... When I was younger, I was into metal. I was into rap. I was into all of it. And then as I got older, I become more accustomed to people that write and sing their own songs. Basically the very opposite of what you hear on the radio. I, I just love good, honest music. I don't know if it's a particular genre. As long as that person wrote that music and is singing it, that's what I find the music I like most these days. Hmm. Nice. What's your favorite uh, movie or series? Oh, favorite movie series is definitely Lonesome Dove. Um, Lonesome Dove. Lonesome Dove. It's a cowboy movie. And as far as my favorite movie of all time, and it's number one, I, I can't ever pick which one I like the most. It's either Godfather or Godfather 2. One, each one of them is number one in my book. Love it. Love it. Uh, well, talking about book, what's your favorite book? My favorite book might surprise most people. It's called The Walking Drum by Louis L'Amour. And it's a book that's basically a historical fiction about the Muslims. And basically, he wrote this book long ago. And if most Americans would read this book, they would realize that the Muslims are not the boogeyman that everybody created, created them to be. Hmm. Hmm. I'm going to write that down. Walking drum. It's an easy read. Very easy book to read. Oh, man. I got I, I got so much to read because I do too much podcast with new influences of books and movies and stuff like that. I know exactly <laughs> what you mean. <laughs> uh, what's your favorite beverage or drink? Just water. Oh, well, let me let me back that up a little bit. Um, I got a new kind of water I drink. It's um, it's hydrogen water. I have a hydrogen water flask, and um, that's my favorite kind of water. Tastes great, and it's mm -hmm. grateful. Uh, what's your favorite food? Italian food. Uh, do you have a little bit of Italian blood in you? No, no. My my dad was uh, from German stock, and my mom is half black and ha half Native American. Wow. Uh, Billy, what kind of clothing you like to wear the most? T-shirts and work pants. Basically farm work, farm, whatever I wear on the farm. And they're going to be wooden shoes under it, ladies and gentlemen. What's your favorite holiday destination? Well, it's been a while since I've taken a vacation, but honestly, um, I embarrassingly can't pick a single location. Well, I'll, I'll say this. It's going to sound weird, but Alaska and Panama were two of my favorite places on the planet. And the funny thing is, I was thinking about this question myself because there was some some ad or something like that on uh, on the on the podcast, 
because I don't listen to to radio and stuff like that in the car. And it was an ad that said, oh, w- what was your last time that w- you were on holiday? And I couldn't figure out. And I was thinking, this is my holiday. I wake up, I'm in, I'm, I'm driving around to Germany or to Belgium or whatever. That's, I mean, I meet people, I see nature around. I think, oh, this is my holiday. There you and go. If you have the perception of that, you come home and you do your work, and that's my holiday too. You know, just like, well, that's should that go to different places to feel that moment. See, you said a lot there. I don't want to take you off your point, but honestly, we've created a life that I don't feel like I need to take a vacation from. You created the perfect spot. So, yeah. yeah. Well, I love where I live. I love what I do, but it's always good to go meet other people in other places, But which I haven't done in quite a while, to be honest with it. Mm. Listen. Me too, and hopefully we're going to catch up soon in the... Uh... Well, this year, this year, I, I feel something 2024 is something that I really can resonate with to go to America or America comes to me, whatever that's going to, we're going to, we're going to figure it out how to do that. Uh, last two questions, Billy. Uh, what's your favorite quote? My favorite quote, man, it, it'd be tough for me to figure out one, but I'm going to say um, in the beginning of a change. Wait, no, let me say it based on, I'll, I'll make this my favorite quote based on what we talked about today. And it was from J.R.R. Tolkien. The most improper job of any man is bossing other men. Not one in a million is fit for it, and least of all those that seek the opportunity. Wow. Wow. That'll That's be my favorite quote for today. Good one. Do, do you have... Uh... Every day, a, a quote that comes to you that you think this is this is going to be. It. No, I mean, no, I don't. I mean, whatever, whatever I feel like. I mean, I got so many of them up here, but based on the conversation we had, that felt like the quote to use. Yeah, nice one, man, nice one. I got a last question for you, Billy, and then I want to really thank you for hopping on Disorganized Productions, and uh, I love to uh, to keep in touch. Um, and uh, yeah, was it? Time flies when you're having fun, isn't it? That's a fact. That's a fact, exactly. Billy, what's your life's motto? My life's motto is at the end of Ecclesiastes, and I'm trying to live this motto, but I don't I'm not successful all the time. Is basically at the end of Ecclesiastes, you take Solomon, who was considered the wisest man that ever lived, and then when he sat here, he wrote this entire book, and then he summed it all up with the end like this. He wrote, Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. I guess I'll call that my motto today. Wow. Amen to that, man. It's been cool to hang out. Connecting me, man. That's, that's, it's, it's, yeah. It's again, and that's really, I want to point it out. This is podcast number 33 for me but it's again feeling this connection this heart connection from somewhere who is a few miles thousand miles away and it feels like you know not now we're gonna hang around have a barbecue have some chat uh make, make some music and stuff like that because there's something going on with this uh positive energy that we want to spread the word with to this community and uh 
tell people that they're not alone and to support each other with love. And uh, that's all we can do, man, you know, and laugh. People just laugh. Go to the grocery store and laugh. Not in a maniacal way, but just uh, laugh at them. You know, you got, you, and even if you have bad teas or stuff like that, it, it just like one of the most beautiful things you can do for uh, making someone else's day. Just laugh at them. I, c- I couldn't agree more. And also, I want to echo what you said there. It's, it feels like you make me feel less alone in the world. And even though we're separated by thousands of miles, you know, this is where this technology, I think, has been brought to bear to do something very special. And I think all the people out there are benefiting from your podcast. I'm so glad Raul told me about you because I'm listening to your podcast and I'm like, okay, I like this guy, man. I'd love to hang out with him. So we'll have to find out a way, find a way where all of us podcasters can maybe be in the same place at the same time Mm. and actually meet each other and maybe meet the fans that we have. So that would be great. Yeah. And I was thinking also with, uh, uh, with with Raul and also with with Snake and stuff like that, uh, with Snake Turbinat, uh, maybe it will be great to have a festival where people can, you know, everyone has you you have the permaculture uh, and and the guests that we have have several topics that they want to talk about and stuff like that, you know that that you can have a festival where where you can listen to someone about some topics, you know, learn about permaculture, learn about this, learn about that. That would be so great, and uh, we're going to make that happen. So if we believe, we can make it through, man. That's 100%. 100%. That's what I'm talking about, brother. Thanks so much for having me on. All right. Thank you very much, Billy. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening to, to another episode of Disorganized Productions. I hope you enjoyed this one. Uh, for everyone on this beautiful plain earth, uh, have a good morning, a good day or a good night, wherever you are. We're running for all my life With the devil on my heels He wasn't always kind And he couldn't fulfill my dreams I'm running for all my life with the devil on my heels He wasn't always kind And he couldn't fulfill my dreams He's a pain in the ass Black as a night God, show me the light He's a pain in the ass Black as a night God, show me the light And hold me tight Fulfill my dreams He's a pain in the ass Black as a night God, show me the light And hold me tight